This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. Sheets and Giggles bedding consists of sustainably made 400 thread count eucalyptus sheets that are static-free, moisture-wicking, use no insecticides or pesticides, and are half the cost of their store-bought competition. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at SheetsGiggles. If you're into interior design like me, it can be so tempting to get trendy pieces for your home that you're then stuck with later once they go out of style. A more sustainable option is one you might not have thought about before, renting your furniture. We got the chance to try out Oliver's furniture rental service, and I'm seriously impressed with the gorgeous terrazzo coffee table that's now sitting in my den. I get to have a trendy piece and not feel guilty about sending it to a new home once I'm done with it. Oliver makes sure your pieces are new when they come to you by using extremely high refurbishment standards and sanitization. And at the end of the road, all Oliver pieces go to their donation partner, Habitat for Humanity. Check out oliver.space to browse all of their sustainable and chic options and use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off your order. We're currently in the midst of the Plastic Free July Challenge, a campaign that you might have just heard of, but it actually started in Australia about 10 years ago. COVID-19 is causing all of us to have a lot more time on our hands to be mindful and thoughtful about everyday actions, and I think that this is one of the reasons why the Plastic Free July Challenge is trending right now. As you can probably guess, the challenge is meant to bring awareness to our daily plastic consumption, and it's pretty staggering to see the amount of waste we all generate constantly. Our community of Brightly Ambassadors, or Scouts, is actively participating in the challenge as well, and we are learning so much already as a community. One of the most popular plastic-free personal care product companies out there is Ethique, 
They're famous for their solid shampoo bars, but they actually sell solid versions of almost anything you can think of to put on your body, like lotion, they even have pet care products and more. Atik was founded in 2012 by New Zealand-based entrepreneur Brianne West. In today's episode of Good Together, Lisa and I chat with Brianne about why it's so important to reduce your plastic waste right now, how you can get involved in the Plastic Free July Challenge, why Brianne started her company, and more. Let's get into it. Okay. Hi, Brianne. Welcome to Good Together. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're super excited to have you with us. And uh, it's a perfect timing for this episode because today we're talking all about Plastic Free and specifically about Plastic Free July Challenge. It's actually the Plastic Free July Challenge was brought up uh, by our community members, by Brightly uh, Scouts Ambassadors. And this campaign has actually been around for almost 10 years. I didn't know that, but it's finally kind of gained its momentum and it finally its popularity made its way to the U.S. Uh, the campaign is actually actually originated in Australia. And of course, in many ways, you know, our brand new awareness of plastic pollution, of all the sustainability issues came uh, thanks to COVID. That's this, at least that's the silver lining that Laura and I like to kind of see in this whole current pandemic situation. Um, so our community of scouts uh, is actively participating in this Plastic Free July challenge. And uh, quite honestly, personally, I find it's pretty challenging. It's a challenge. I know it's meant to be that way, but it, it's challenging. So we, we were thinking, what would be the perfect guest to discuss the plastic-free topic? And of course, it was Ethic. Uh, me and Brian connected just a few weeks ago, and Ethic is one of the world's leading brands in terms of plastic-free. Ethic is 100% plastic-free. So, well, why don't I just give you a spot, spotlight, Brian? You can tell us all about your kind of journey to uh, that led you to founding Ethic, and tell uh, tell us a bit more about Ethic and what you guys are up to. Sure. Um, hello, everybody. Um, well, I started a teak when I was, uh, I think, 22, and it came about as a bit of a, a culmination of lots of different things at once. So when I moved up to university when I was 19, I didn't want to get a job. Um, I, I just didn't. I was studying something I loved. I was studying biology and chemistry, and I loved it, and I didn't want to go and, and tie myself down to a job that I just didn't think had a point. Um, I've not been very, I've never been very good at being involved in things that I don't really see this, this overarching purpose in, which is yeah. a little bit idealistic, but I understand it. you. I understand you there. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, you know, and most, most part-time jobs aren't that way. And of course they're um, absolutely necessary, but it's just, I really struggle to do it. So I wanted to create a business that had a purpose. Now I dabbled in a couple of others. Um, I'd, I'd started two other smaller companies and I'd sold them both. Um, they were, one was a confectionery company and one was a cosmetics company. And I got bored and you did, very quickly. Hold on, Brianne. I was going to, I was just going to jump in. You did this while you were at, before you, you had sold and created these companies before you were at uni university? Uh, well, the first, uh, about six months prior to my first, uh, first semester, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I'm sorry. I just had to jump in. Like that yeah. is just so, so exciting. <laughs> well, it's, it was, you know, it's, it's fun running a business. You get to, you get to create a whole bunch of stuff. You get to talk to loads of people. You get to get feedback or stuff. It's so much fun running a business. Obviously it's full of challenges, but most of the time it's awesome. But <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, let me, let me, uh, let's continue. But yeah, I had to just jump <laughs> in and give you a, a pat on the back. That's awesome. <laughs> But as fun as, you know, as they were, 
they didn't have that point. So whilst it, they, I got to run them and it was very exciting and I really enjoyed it, the, I did get bored because they didn't have a purpose. They were just about selling product. So I wanted to create something that had a genuinely positive impact on the environment. And one of my previous companies was a, a cosmetics company. So I knew a little about cosmetic chemistry. Um, I also knew about the hideous waste and the really, really bad, dirty and really quite unethical supply chains involved with cosmetics. And I thought, well, I've got science. Well, I'm beginning to get some science training. Um, why don't I see what I can do about creating a completely plastic free cosmetics company? And that was really where the idea came from. I guess. Uh, so Atik, for those who don't know, is a solid beauty bar company. And by that, I don't mean soap. Everyone thinks, oh, it's bars, therefore it's just soap, but it isn't. Um, it's literally exactly what you would get in a bottle of liquid product, but it doesn't have any of the water. So therefore we can get rid of the plastic, which also means it has a lower carbon footprint. They last longer and we can get rid of a lot of the ingredients people don't want to use anymore, which are there for sort of stabilization in the liquid product. Um, Everything from shampoo, conditioner, moisturizers, face cleansers, skin care, dog care, pretty much everything. And we're expanding the line pretty much every every month. Although we've had we had the opportunity to try out some Etique, um, you know, products. And I personally love the shampoo and conditioner. We get a ton of questions from our community about shampoo bars in general, because I know while Etique was very early on um, in the shampoo bar world. You might have even created the first. I don't know. I'll let you answer that one. Um, we have people who, you know, are looking to Lush. They're looking to, um, you know, other companies. And so, yes, everyone always says, I want to do this, but I'm scared that my hair is going to fall out, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if you can talk uh, talk to us a little bit about the, um, you know, sort of the creation, the formulation of your signature product and sort of how that came to be. Yeah, well, the first... Uh first product was actually damage control, which is currently called Mintacy, and the formulations never ch changed since back then. So when I was beginning to formulate these products, I started with hair care because it seemed like the least hard one to get your head around, right? If you pardon the pun. Uh, using shampoo bars, maybe even conditioner bars, just seems a little bit easier than using a solid face moisturizer, for example. So that's where I started, and they are uh, hero products all over the world still today. When I was formulating, there was lots of factors. One of them was that it has to be actual shampoo, not soap. So I talked about this a moment ago, but a lot, in fact, most of the shampoo bars out there are actually soap-based. Now, soap has a really high pH uh, just because of the way it's made. And regardless of how it's made or what it's made with, whatever oils, it will always have a high pH because of the sodium hydroxide that's used in its manufacture. And that's not to say soap is bad, but soap isn't great for your hair. So your hair is naturally acidic mm -hmm. and soap is naturally alkaline. And it, as a result, it causes your the cuticle, which is like the, the sort of scales that wrap around your hair, making it smooth and shiny. It causes them to stand on end. Now, I go into this in sort of um, great scientific detail on uh, the atik.com blog if you want to read more about it. But essentially, soap over time will strip your hair of color and moisture and just make it feel like it has a weird residue. If you've ever used a shampoo bar and it's left a residue, you'll understand what I mean. So the, the goal for Atik bars is it's literally what you would get if you boiled all the water out of a salon quality natural shampoo, all the stuff you've got left at the bottom, the stuff that actually makes it a product. Because it doesn't make any sense at all to make a product, you know, up to, in some cases, 75 to 80% water, and then use that product in a room full of water. Why on earth don't we just use the concentrates, right? Mm -hmm. That always seems very bizarre. Mm -hmm. 
So it was their overarching principle, make it exactly like what people love and use, but just make it plastic free. And of course, there's all the considerations, you know, the ingredients have not, um, cannot have any kind of health issues associated with them. They must be cruelty free, vegan, sustainably produced. The ingredients must be sustainably produced, um, ethically produced as well. So that the people who make things like our coconut oil, they are paid fairly and the list goes on and on. Awesome. That this is super cool. Yeah, I'm glad Laura asked this question because um, uh, so you essentially by trade, by your degree, you're you're a chemist. Is that correct? Uh, technically a biologist, actually, but oh, I did okay. quite a lot of chemistry. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. Uh, so you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know to make a, such a successful business, you absolutely have to know what you're talking about. Well, let's talk about the plastic-free aspect of your business model. Um, I noticed on your website, under the sustainability section, plastic-free is actually the very first category, and you have multiple categories. Again, uh, I always like uh, to tell our listeners that you know whenever you're researching a brand, look that they even have a sustainability section, and then depending on how well and in depth it is you can kind of judge the company um how uh, true it stands to its values and you guys um it's very obvious that you don't uh, to take every single aspect of sustainability very seriously um, so i found a ton of information uh about the plastic free pollution uh, one of the facts i found is that only nine percent of plastic is recycled worldwide and every single year we produce um, about 300 million tons of plastic waste um and again this is just like Two of the facts. So my question to you, what does being a plastic free really mean to you personally, since that was kind of the main, uh, as it sounds like it was the main driver, the main kind of reason, the raison d'etre, right, for you to start Ethic. And then uh, Ethic is actually 100% plastic free. I don't actually know many, if any of the other brands that I've known to say that. So can you walk us through uh, kind of all the business supply chain operational steps that you had to completely rethink to get to this point? <laughs> it was a very long, very long answer that would be. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it's absolutely right. It was the overarching number one rule was for a teak to be plastic free. Um, and I think you would be right in that most companies currently who offer plastic-free solutions also offer more uh, conventional solutions. And I never wanted to do that. Atik was always going to be 100% plastic-free because I believe that's not only the right thing to do, but it's also easier to communicate. You're not having sort of conflicting messages. But that's that's my opinion. Um, <laughs> as for operational manufacturing challenges, it's been difficult the whole way through. So I started in my kitchen and was there for about a year and a half just in my house kitchen, manufacturing. Um, about, I think, four kgs at, at a time in a day. So that would be about ugh, maybe 32 like bars pounds. Make in a day. Yeah, eight pounds, oh, 32 sorry. Bars. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so 32 bars in it, 32 bars in a day. Obviously not very many. And then I'd have to wrap mm -hmm. them and pack them. So it was a very slow, laborious process. Um, that lasted for about a year and a half before I got our first unit. And that was a much bigger manufacturing facility. It was like a commercial kitchen. It was it was freedom. It was very exciting. But scaling was still problematic because it's more the machinery behind it that's that's difficult. Um, this is a product made in a way that no one else made at all around at that point. Um, there were shampoo bars when we started. So Lush was the only one I was aware of other than soap mm -hmm. bars, so conventional soap just marketed as shampoo. So Lush makes their shampoo bars in a very, very different way. They're very different ingredients. Um, it's 
they're just not comparable. So we were starting from absolute scratch. We had no idea what we were doing. We looked at things like bakery machines. Uh, we looked at ice cream machines, uh, but just heated up. Like it was, it was a, an experiment in many, many different, across many different industries. And eventually we partnered with the most amazing um, bunch of, of people who have a, a factory and um, they didn't have any experience in this particular product either, but they had lots of chemistry, lots of engineering and altogether over 18 months, of lots of, lots of tears. We managed to finally get to the point where now we can make, um, I think it's 150,000 bars a day. So it's a wow. lot more. That's a lot. That's yeah. on serious scale. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I love that you took the time to, you know, one, work with uh, a factory, like, sounds like relatively close to home, um, where you kind of just rolled up your sleeves to get it done. Because I think oftentimes as product makers, it can be difficult to, you know, make that commitment and, and do it. So I think that's great. And yeah, I mean, we, um, I remember I tried to find um, Atik products, I want to say like a year or two ago. And it was like, yeah, they were going to be shipped um, directly from overseas and it was going to take a little bit longer, but I'm super excited that you guys just um, expanded more into the US. Yeah. So all our products are made in New Zealand, uh, which is something we are looking to change. Now as we have the scale, we can look to manufacture some of our products offshore, closer to our market. So we're looking at North America at the moment. Um, the reason for that is carbon footprint, essentially, by producing products closer to mm-hmm. our biggest market being North America, it makes it, it certainly lowers the carbon footprint of those bars. And as long as all of our um, other issues are here to and the staff are still paid as fairly and, and, and so on and so forth, there's no issue. But we will always manufacture in New Zealand as well. Um, Yes, we used to ship directly from New Zealand. Uh, now we are very excited that we do have our US regional facility uh, warehouse. Uh, it's very, very handy because, like I said, the US is our biggest market. We absolutely we see the biggest growth and where we get the most interest. So many people want to give up the bottle, but then also those people typically don't like buying from Amazon for a variety of reasons. Um, so we knew we had to fill that gap by having our own our own warehouse over there. And, and we worked with, uh, I think, three or four facilities over about six months to see who could actually do plastic free. And that is harder than you'd think. It has to be shipped plastic free. That is it is absolutely non-negotiable. But so many companies really struggle. Mm-hmm. And that's just because they've got machinery or they've got robotics or whatever. That means that those they're set up for plastic. And I can understand that. But I do know that these organizations are being asked for this more and more. You know, more companies want to be able to ship their products plastic free and they're already beginning to, to see what they can do. And actually, one of our largest partners has made the commitment that they will be plastic free uh, within six months for all of their parcels, not just ours. And they ship 270,000 parcels a day. So imagine wow. the kind of impact that's going to have. That's very exciting. That's huge. Yeah. So tell me a bit more. Uh, um, we don't have to spend tons of time on it, but I'm just curious because again, um, it's such a important topic for business owners who are who do want to ship their products plastic free. Um, so how? Um, so is that the, the fulfillment center is that hundred percent yours, or there's other companies that ship with them? And kind of how? No, how this is difficult- a third party. Ah, okay. So how difficult was it to find this kind of partner? You said six months, right? And like all of these different elements that you had to discuss, uh, like there's probably so many just like steps in the shipping process and the packaging process um, and like operations of the fulfillment center that has to go completely different, right? Like to to become plastic free. 
Um, it is difficult, but then it also comes down to your partner. So the, mm-hmm. the most important thing is to always make really good relationships and convers- and have good conversations up front before you get anywhere. So mm-hmm. it's finding out how important. So the fulfillment center we are partnered with is very green focused already. So that was one of the That's biggest great. reasons we decided to go with them in the, in the first place. Um, if you were trying to get someone more conventional ship plastic free, you may have a bigger problem for obvious reasons. But these guys were already committed to it. Um, so we explained what we currently do in New Zealand. So our New Zealand fulfillment center, which ships, uh, which did ship everywhere, but now just ships to New Zealand and Australia. Um, they had some great specs they could pass on and some sourcing for what is like paper bubble wrap. It's the coolest sort of like concertina paper. So we use mm-hmm. that instead and they could pass on those. So once you've got one, it's easy to get the subsequent one. But to be honest, it just comes down to the quality of the relationship and the quality of the partner. And that is something that can be a bit hit and miss. There's no real uh, quick win there, but it's just having honest conversations saying, look, if you can't do it, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But we need to know now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, I think it's very important to establish that there cannot be like, maybe like we, you guys are hundred percent plastic free. So that's not kind of negotiable for you. Exactly. And while we're on the topic of shipping, um, I know you guys, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are carbon neutral. Is that correct? We are. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, so how, uh, yeah, so can you tell us uh, a bit more about the carbon neutral certification and kind of how shipping comes into place? Obviously, it's probably the biggest contributor, right, to our um, business carbon footprint. Yeah, so our business carbon footprint, about 93% of it is international freight. So it uh-huh. is huge, wow. but it's also quite good because it goes to show how efficient our manufacturing and all those other things are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also go, and it will be massively lower this year simply due to this regional warehouse opening. So we are carbon neutral and we also offset, we double offset all our travel. So prior to the outbreak of COVID, of course, um, mm-hmm. I, uh, the team and I traveled a lot just to make sure that we had these great relationships around the world. And we would always double offset our travel. So we offset everything as a company. And then we also offset our travel again. Mm-hmm. So we double wow. offset. And offsets are not the solution. I am more than aware of that. But what they are is kind of like a time buying device. You know, mm-hmm. they, they help us figure out a way to combat this. Because unfortunately, the system we're in does not allow you to live a carbon neutral life at this point in time. And I think most people understand that. And that's disappointing, but we work with the system we have and try and change it. But what is good about offsets is a lot of people assume it's trees and it's, well, I mean, it can be trees, but I am of the belief that your money in offsetting can be more effective if you're investing in renewable technologies. So we do, uh, through our partners, we invest in things like uh, greenhouse gas capture from landfills, which they then use to power, uh, create electricity or um, solar farms across parts of India those sorts of things they money into investment whilst it's not as as pretty and exciting as you know we planted so many trees which we do as well but it's it's more effective it does create a longer term investment that builds greater infrastructure which is what we need thanks so much for listening We'll get back to today's episode in just a second but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there, which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. 
Partnerships like these are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for sheets and giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past three months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, I finally got to try their new eucalyptus comforter. I'm a weirdo, I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even in the middle of the summer, and I haven't been waking up hot when I've been using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down one we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and their materials don't use pesticides, so they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to their customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters and have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. That's awesome. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsgiggles.com. So I just went over to Laura's house recently and was shocked at how clean it is, especially since you guys just adopted a new puppy. (laughs) Very funny. We are definitely not neat freaks at my house, but it's been pretty messy lately with all those pups. When I find cleaning products that are natural, safe, and incredibly effective, I have to shout it from the rooftops. I gave my place a once-over with Puracy products right before you got there, and it did look pretty sparkly if I say so myself. Seriously, when we started learning about Puracy, we were also excited to learn that they are 100% made in the U.S. and their team is obsessed about plant-powered performance. They also offer more than just cleaning products. My personal favorite I've tried from them is their organic hand and body lotion. It's very moisturizing, but not greasy. It's also great to use right after their hand sanitizer, which is also super effective. Puracy has over a million customers and thousands of five-star reviews, so don't just take our word for it. Although, we hope you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Head to puracy.com slash brightly for 10% off your order. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, carbon emission, I mean, sorry, carbon offsets, um, you know, are, are definitely a way to kind of exist in the current system, like you said, and I think it's a great way to put it. Um, so I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about um, why people should care specifically about plastic free July. What, you know, what's the current scope of the plastic pollution problem? And, you know, let's, let's kind of dig into some, some key points that you, you may have discovered in your um, research, Brian, as you were Um, you know, founding this company? Well, I think the biggest issue is how apathetic people are about plastic. And that's not their fault. It is due to the fact that there's all this misleading information out there that it gets recycled. So there's these little triangles at the bottom of your bottle or the bottom of your container that says, I'm a number three or whatever, so I can be recycled. And that's great. And technically, it's true. These, These items can be recycled. But as you mentioned earlier, statistically, they won't be only 9% of all plastic ever made has ever been recycled. Once plastic hits the environment, whether it's the ocean or uh, landfill or just, you know, somebody's back garden, it begins to break up into, and if you've ever seen a plastic bag disappear, it goes into like a dusty 
stuff and then eventually goes away and due to a breakdown through UV light. And a lot of people think that is a sign of biodegradability. And a lot of people think plastic does actually disappear, but that's not actually what's happening. So plastic is not biodegradable, but it is degradable. So that means the bonds in the plastic polymer are breaking down because of the UV light. So all you're creating when that happens is actually microplastics, which are much more pervasive and much more damaging to the environment. And I'm no doubt that I'm preaching to the choir when I tell you guys that these plastics have been found in every environment on earth now, mm-hmm. and that we are eating 50,000 pieces of microplastic every single year. I, mean, I know it's, it's, it's mind blowing, honestly. And I think, you know, we, we've talked a little bit on previous podcasts about how the plastics industry, there's just, you know, many, many years, decades of, you know, sort of brainwashing of the public. If you, if you, we can even use that word just because people do and still did and do think that when they put something in a recycling bin, it's going to get recycled. Well, it doesn't. And as you're saying, it's it's absolutely pervasive in every aspect of the world. And I personally love sushi. And I remember when I first started learning about microplastics and specifically how um, you know, you know, pervasive they are in fish, even, you know, these sustainable, um, you know, caught fish. I remember like thinking like, okay, I might need to cut back down on that habit for sure. Yeah. I, I think what's really sad about it is so many people will point their finger firmly at developing nations for this. And it's just so unfair because. Oh, so unfair. proven that most of that most of that plastic that has ended up in those developing nations, they've actually sourced from what you would call more developed nations. So countries like New Zealand, Australia, America, we we sell and we ship our plastic waste to countries like what well, used to be China, but they've obviously stopped accepting it. But countries like Malaysia and the Philippines, and they don't have the ability to deal with it either. So it, it's improperly stored, it washes out into waterways, and that's how it gets a lot of the time into our oceans. And to blame that on nations that we're selling it to is just so irresponsible. It is our problem and we all have the, the obligation to do something about it. Now, I'm not against plastic, I should I should say, because, you know, without plastic, we wouldn't ha- be able to have medical procedures. You know, the list mm-hmm. goes on. Plastic as a material is not the problem. It's the single-use, throwaway stuff. It's the 40% of all plastic made, which is packaging, which is used once wow. to mm-hmm. protect or transport a product around and then it's thrown in the bin. That is the irresponsible stuff that we need to stop using. And we have better options. I mean, IKEA is even making stuff out of mushrooms. How cool is that? That's so cool. And actually, I we talk a lot about, um, you know, our, our audience, we, we ask them to buy bulk um, because it does cut down on packaging waste. But even that, like when you're at a bulk store, um, you know, here in the States, we have Costco, but it's like, when you see these, these you know, big items that you're going to purchase, even those most of the time have some kind of like it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, it's like superfluous plastic sitting around it. And it's like, what? you know, you might have a glass jar for instance, and it's got this like, you know, beautiful little clamshell. And you're like, why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's all about how it looks uh, on the shelf. And I understand because people like pretty things we all do, Yeah, but that doesn't have to be pretty to the extent of our incredibly beautiful environment. Yeah. So we, you kind of led us to this next question. Uh, and like Laura was asking, why, why is it happening? And I think, I mean, ultimately what I realized when I was um, trying to do failing at Plastic Free July Challenge is that more than anything, I realized how pervasive plastics are in our lives, right? We just don't think about it, how 
Priyan, you just said how Laura was mentioning. And I think in many cases, it's a systematic issue, right? And um, ultimately, especially in the US, I'm not sure how that actually happens in other countries, but there's actually plastic lobby, right? Who uh, People who are making sure that we keep using our plastics, like yeah. uh, people who are making sure that we are continuing our plastic addiction, so to speak. So I'm curious, uh, Brianne, so I don't know if we've mentioned that, that Brianne and um, Atika is actually from New Zealand. So I'm curious if you're aware of some examples and then maybe on the global level in your country, some systematic solutions that have efficiently been uh, been actually able to curb the plastics, uh, the plastic pollution, the, uh, this problem, either on governmental or business levels. So obviously, you guys are such a great example of a business doing right uh, and 100% plastic free, but um, a governmental, intergovernmental um, kind of solutions to the plastic problem. Have you heard anything on that front? It's not realistic to consider that we will always, that we will ban all single use plastic. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. Um, but what is, I believe, and I know a lot of people who talk with, with policymakers and, and big businesses, they believe this would be a logical solution is to charge a tax for plastic. And we're talking no more than a cent per unit. I mean, it's just minimal to the point of laughability. And all of that tax go directly into making recycling facilities in country, not ones offshore. So that mm-hmm. what is used or made in, in say America is then also recycled there. And it's recycled into something that is permanent. So the problem with uh, many, many plastics is they're not infinitely recyclable. They're kind of downcycled. So they get their worst quality and quite often to make it usable, you have to add virgin plastic in and that's not ideal. So mm-hmm. we need to invest in technology to recycle plastic that holds its quality. And I don't know enough about the chemistry of polymers to understand whether that's doable, but man, we've done some stuff that we didn't think was doable at the time. So I have no doubt that it is. Um, but then we also need to to sort out the collection and the sorting and and actually educate consumers so they know what they need to do. But we also need to not make it complicated. So the idea of product stewardship is the idea that the business is responsible for their product end of life. So that includes the packaging. And that is something that's being floated around New Zealand at the moment. But I do know a few countries, and I believe Germany is one of them, has actually um, got something that works very well so that consumers return their products and the businesses return their packaging and the business is responsible for dealing with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have too many of the details about it, but that seems like a simple solution. And businesses will throw up their arms and say, oh, no, it's too hard. But uh, that's just becomes another cost of doing business Mm -hmm. you know yeah it should be something that is factored in Exactly, absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned before, um, I mean, the reason why companies like yours are doing so great, why uh, why more and more companies are strive, at least striving to become plastic-free is because essentially com- co- consumers voted, right, with their own dollars um, and demanded big corporations to start changing things. So I was curious, like, I wanted to bring this up because I'm a huge Britney Spears fan. <laughs> so my question was, I, I randomly saw on your website that Britney will actually um, you know, used one of your products back in the days, I think in 2016. I'm curious how that happened. But the larger question, it's not just about Britney, a larger question is like, how long did it, um, I know obviously it's been a few years, but like, um, what were kind of like consumer shifts that you observed as you grew your company? Obviously, you know, we all know it's super hard to start business from zero, right? But you have to start somewhere. So how, what, what were the major consumer shifts? Um, that kind of led you to the success. 
it's been a huge shift. So mm-hmm. arguably Atik was before the curve. So we started before there was any real pushback other than mm-hmm. sort of around those people who were naturally very environmentally friendly. But there certainly wasn't this mass acceptance that plastic is the problem that it is now. And that's happened very much in the last so probably three years. Um, so we've seen in New Zealand, New Zealanders are pretty environmentally minded. Um, yeah. Again, there wasn't this mass hatred of plastic back then, but people understood the concept of having a product that had no waste, regardless of whether it was plastic, glass or whatever. Um, but now we're seeing that people are actively looking. So rather than having to s- sort of seek out people and explain why mm-hmm. plastic is a bad option, that, that f- first bit's kind of already done. People are understanding that plastic is a problem and that it isn't as recyclable as they thought. That is that is something that's changing. Um, we still do get a lot of people who think that everything is recyclable and it's all good, but it is definitely not the mass opinion that it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. There's been a huge demand or change in people requesting more ethical products. So plastic free aside, uh, there's also the demand for more transparency in general. So what yeah. goes in your products, where are they from, who makes them, those sorts of things. There's also that that charge towards a truly ethical company. It's really, really encouraging to see. People just want more from their brands. Yeah, yeah, it's so amazing. Um, yeah, I, I bet it's especially amazing, like, and you can appreciate that kind of being on the other side before, you know, consumers were kind of in this ideal stage of, their, of awareness. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a super good to know. But, again, nothing comes easy. And um, definitely, we at Brightly, one of our main goals right now is still educating the consumers at large, uh, especially in the U.S. and around the world, too. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that's changing around the world and it's very exciting to see. And imagine we will be in five years or 10 years time. Absolutely. The environment will no longer be the thing that is considered the, the last in, in the decisions you make. Yes. Cool. And exciting. people won't have to have, um, you know, we, we recently on some of our community areas, like in our Facebook group um, or even on our Slack channel, people say like, I feel alone. Like I'm the only one in my family or my friend group that really cares about the environment. And so oftentimes it can feel really lonely. Um, but as I think conscious consumerism um, in all aspects of the world, a word becomes more and more mainstream, we're going to see more change happening. And so we're super excited about that. Um, so Brian, sure. one thing that we love to ask our guests um, is if uh, you, you can share specific actionable tips. And in this, this scenario, I'd love if you could share tips with our audience about how they can specifically cut down on their plastic waste every day. These are arguably all the things you've already ever heard. I mean, the number one thing is is stop going to Starbucks every 10 seconds unless you take a reusable cup. Look, I love coffee <laughs> as much as anyone else. But we have this this way of thinking, you know, oh, it's just one cup. I forgot mine, so I'll just get one takeaway cup. Just don't. Just, it might be one cup, but it's so many people thinking it's just one cup. You know, if we stop thinking about this, about throwaway waste as something that is is not important, hasn't taken a lot of resources to make, then we can change that attitude. You, you think about the amount of, of resource, energy, you know, oil, plastic that's had to go into making that cup and you begin to think, oh, it's not actually something I can just throw away without worrying about it. Um, so it's really, it comes down to thinking twice when you buy things. And I know at the beginning, it seems like, oh, what a nightmare. This is too hard. I'm already too busy. And you know what? We're all too busy. And I totally understand. But that, that attitude becomes a kind of second nature. So instead of buying carrots in a bag, you get loose carrots in a in a um one of those woven bags that you bought from home. Or 
instead of well this is probably a little bit hard to do if if you've got a full-time job like everyone else but um you know make your own bread whatever Mm -hmm. it is those things just little tweaks of of your your lifestyle that really do make a difference and it doesn't feel like it does at the time but I promise you it does um but also to go on to say again this can feel super overwhelming and with it with Plastic Free July, I do get quite a lot of people coming to us at the end of the month and saying, gosh, I'm kind of glad that's over because I was just besieged with tips and and ideas and things I should be doing. And I was made to feel guilty because I cannot do them all. And you're right, you can't do them all. And you shouldn't feel that you should need to do them all. Because at the end of the day, whilst consumers should be aware of what they're buying and what they're doing and, and try and think twice about single-use plastics, it unfortunately comes down to industry and industry is who we need to change we need to encourage businesses to think again and start creating better packaging solutions for us and they will do that through consumer pressure so yes stopping buying single use as much as you can is great but a big part of it is also talking to the brands you know and love and asking say a clothing brand does your clothing arrive on shore wrapped individually in plastic bags now i have a friend who runs an ethical Um, clothing making company in New Zealand and her products are made ethically in India or some of them are and um, Mm -hmm. she has fought and fought with the factory and finally they've agreed that they will not wrap every single individual garment in a plastic bag which is what 99.99% of all clothing arrives in yep I mean that's that's actually a huge change so pressuring your brands to do something improve it rather than just saying oh we're looking at this Mm -hmm. you know that's also a massive step yeah. yeah. Anyone who's ever worked retail knows this, right? Like when you are like stocking up the store, you'll usually get these big boxes in that are most likely direct from the factory. And yes, every single thing would come in tiny plastic uh, wrapped. And, you know, it's just, it's just upsetting. Even when you're talking about brands like Reformation or, you know, some of these brands that are, have made a, a name for themselves doing ethical clothing, um, you know, 99% of those brands even still are going to have that plastic wrap on the, on the clothing. Now, I don't know specifically if it's Reformation or not. I've just, just kind of thrown out some names, but yeah, it's, it's, it's upsetting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of led us into our next question. Um, so we always ask um, to our guests to name kind of their favorite ethical brands out there. So you, uh, if you can share the name of your friend's company or any other ones and kind of why, what's so special about these brands? Uh, well, the company I was talking about is run by a lady called Samantha, and it's called Little Yellow Bird. Um, mm-hmm. and they, they do ethical clothing. It's it's beautiful. Um, but my favorite brand, uh, it's probably really cliche, but it's Patagonia. I knew um, you were going to say that. I mean, so many guests, <laughs> so many guests say that. But I mean, I you know. know, can we blame each other? Like we're all their fans, right? They they just they're just so honest, and they are not perfect, and that's what I like about them. Not that I, like, I don't like that they're not perfect, but I like that they admit that they're not perfect and they, they have a roadmap exactly. of how they're going to get better. And their founder is just brilliant. And and I'm pretty sad that their CEO left in June, but um, oh, I'm sure yes. they'll have just as a fabulous new one. But they just, they walk the talk. They are all about, you know, we only want you to buy this once. They just, they they don't say sustainable principles over here on the left and then encourage you to buy as much fast fashion over here on the right. Cause fast mm-hmm. fashion is enormously polluting of course. Yep. Um, but they, they don't subscribe to that at all. They don't, they don't have the weekly bloody seasons that so many people, so many brands mm-hmm. have. 
Um, yeah, I was, absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah, no, that's that's so well deserved. I, I was actually thinking about them actually last night. Laura and I also discussed. We were, we were very so, uh, sad to see you know that Rose Marcario stepped down, but yeah. you know Patagonia is that ultimate brand that we uh, as other ethical brand founders we are all looking up to them because I kept thinking like Patagonia can do no wrong. It's quite a pressure, right, as a company because everyone looks up to consumers, but also the whole industry, all the ethical business is out there i mean i don't know actually if it's true but pretty much every business and again most of the founders that we interviewed they most of people name patagonia because they they have stayed true and you're absolutely right they just say that even they they're not perfect you know and that's kind of very important to admit that and uh, another again being a kiwi you'll say i'm biased about this one but um all birds of course all birds shoes gotta throw the in there as well yeah, we have like four. Well, I have four pairs in my family. I don't know how many, Laura, you have. <laughs> <laughs> we have a ton. I was an early adopter of Allbirds too. They're awesome. Um, so yeah, to kind of close this up, uh, Brian, uh, we'd love to ask our, our guests to kind of close with, with the following question. So what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? The amount of people involved. Um, it doesn't matter how sound your argument if only one or two people are saying it, but the fact that there's hundreds of millions of people around the world marching, well, not so much the exact moment right now, of course, but, <laughs> you know, demanding this change on every single level. So it's not just it's not just the climate marches, it's also Black Lives Matter movement. It's all those sorts of things. They all essentially work towards the same thing that we want, which is a more ethical, fairer, well, and more environmentally friendly world. So it's the mm-hmm. amount of people that care. It's It's not one movement per se it's the size of the movement like it's got to be at its absolute biggest it's ever been right absolutely at the moment for obvious reasons but it'll this will only strengthen the movement and the fact that so many more people actually care and see what we are doing is because you know you're right when you mentioned earlier that people feel alone um absolutely people feel very alone and very sad and, and then they get apathetic and they don't try but that that will cease to happen now there's more people involved I hope so. And I'm, um, you know, confident it will. And so, Brian, just thank you so much um, for joining us on Good Together. We are thrilled to support Plastic Free July and really plastic free every day. Um, but we know that as it get, as people get into, um, you know, the, the challenge themselves, they oftentimes struggle with finding products that fit their lifestyle and also fit the challenge. So hopefully our listeners can check out Ethique. Um, uh, Lisa and I love them, but we we love to talk about all things plastic free. <laughs> exactly, and <laughs> I want to me. It was very interesting. Yeah, thank you, Brienne. It was really, really great to kind of get to know you and like all of the different challenges that you as a business had to overcome. And I want to leave our listeners with a quote that kind of reminded me of our whole conversation today. Uh, I don't know who said this quote, but it goes like, I'm just one person, said 7 billion people. Uh, So yeah, you are one out of 7 billion and we can make a huge difference. Thank you again, Brienne. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. 
As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.